I had spent many years working as a community organizer, and I was very interested in how how do people make the decision to set aside short-term interests and work together and collaborate for collective action. And I became increasingly interested in not so much being try, trying to be part of that movement, but trying to communicate something about what was happening, so I started writing. Wendy Cole is a resident writer in the 2008 Jack Straw Writers Program. You're listening to her in discussion with program curator Judith Roche. What can you say in general about overtly political writing and how effective it can be? I came to writing through political activism, and I feel that I've had to work very hard in my own writing to actually get past that kind of dogma and let the story come through. And so one of the things that I've really tried to do is foreground the story and and background the political context for it. And that's a way in which I think U.S. culture is different from Mexican culture and maybe different from most of the cultures of the world where politics is a bad word and a lot of people avoid talking about politics because it, it leads to argument and it leads to all of this sort of dogmatic, uninteresting language. And I'm not sure that's true in other places. I think elsewhere people aren't so afraid to disagree about politics. If you read Mexican newspapers or Italian newspapers or British newspapers, there's not this idea of being unbiased and neutral. You can let your political perspective show. And I don't think that's quite as true in if you want to reach a wide audience in the United States. You need to be a little more circumspect. Now you'll hear her live reading at Jack Straw Productions. For the last two years, I've been a writer-in-residence at Richard Hugo House, and anyone, and I mean anyone, can come and share their writing with me. So over those two years, I've met with exactly 100 writers. So I've read about bad relationships, bad childhoods, bad vacations, bad parents, bad children, Bad hair, bad ideas, bad food, and bad jobs. I have, in those two years, not read a single essay or short story or poem or rant or lament about the Iraq War. So when this strange fact occurred to me, as it did on the fifth anniversary of the war, I realized that I had not written an essay about the war either. Now, how could that be? How could I have written about anything else? And so my piece in the 2008 Jack Straw Anthology is, um, to my embarrassment, I have to say, my first published essay about this war. And this is a a short essay in four parts called The Last Five Years. Part one. On February 15, 2003, I joined a human river between skyscraper banks found myself carried along by the crowd, then stopped by it. There were simply too many people, surrounded by too many police, for any of us to move of our own volition. Frigid air hung over us as we shivered, shoulder to shoulder, hour after hour, hefting signs. Bush's war is gonna fail, kinda like he did at Yale. How did our oil get under their sand? Somewhere in Texas, a village is missing its idiot. (laughs) Let's bomb Texas. It has oil, too. 
I asked for universal health care, and all I got was this lousy stealth bomber. Only later would we learn that there were three or four hundred thousand of us there on the Manhattan streets that day, yelling against the war. Only later would we know that people in 100 countries had joined us, many millions of them. Iraqi toddlers in Babylon holding peace signs, a man in Karachi waving a Che Guevara portrait, Brazilian nuns in white habits on the Copacabana beach, three million Italians marching in Rome. Only later would we realize that all those people in all those countries constituted the largest anti-war protest in the history of the world. In Manhattan, the mass of hope and fury flowed and eddied through midtown streets. For six hours, I gave myself over to the will of the crowd. Late that afternoon, the river split into tributaries, descending to the subway, climbing back onto buses, folding up signs and heading home for the night. Someone yelled to Times Square, and I joined 1,000 people headed in that direction. Compared to the human scale of that day, our group felt small as we marched to one of the country's busiest intersections. We poured into the eight lanes, our chants becoming screams, our voices drowning out engines and horns. We brought the cars and buses and taxis to a sudden stop. If only foreign policy could be turned back as easily as Times Square traffic. On any other day, I would stand on the sidewalk at Times Square and watch the buses and vans and limos rush by, liquid fast, and know that stepping into that current of metal and noise would kill me. The largest anti-war protest in the history of the world did not stop the Iraq War. Did it matter at all? If all of us, tens of millions of us, had stayed home on that February day in 2003, would more countries have sent their soldiers to Iraq? Would we have invaded Iran by now? Would even more people have died? For more than 20 years, I have marched against wars as I have wrestled with the same paradox. Individual action is the antithesis of collective action, yet collective action is only the accumulation of many individual actions. Part two. In 1991, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday was the deadline for war. It seemed a particular insult. George Bush Sr. decided that Iraq's army had to withdraw from Kuwait by January 15 or we would bomb. On January 14, I walked through Seattle neighborhoods with tens of thousands of others. We shared a simple message, no war. I went to bed that night thinking, if 50,000 people marched in Seattle, there must have been hundreds of thousands in New York. I awoke in the morning to the radio announcer telling me that Seattle's anti-war march had been the largest in the country. Not long after that, U.S. planes began dropping bombs. <coughs> I spent most of the following days in front of Seattle's federal building, 
In the midst of all the marching and chanting and press release writing, my father sent me a letter telling me the Gulf War was a necessary war. The week of January 15, he wrote, the quote of the week in his date book was from Dr. King. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Those words, my father said, summed up our reasons for going to war. I wrote back to my father, rage clutched me, but I tried to stick to the facts. I explained to my father what he should have already known. Dr. King had used those words to explain his opposition to the war in Vietnam. I doubted he would approve of those words being used to justify any war. In 2003, as we began another war with Iraq, my father didn't quote Martin Luther King to me. Even before this war started, my father and other military retirees in his circle of friends referred to it as an inevitable quagmire. Part 3. For 23 years, my father served in the U.S. Navy. The Vietnam and Gulf Wars bracketed his service. He spent all his years stationed stateside. He is a veteran, but not a war veteran. His older brothers fought in World War II, his younger brother in Vietnam. Six days after D-Day, June 13, 1944, my Uncle Jerry waded through blood-reddened waves and climbed over piles of bodies to reach Omaha Beach in Normandy, then fought his way across France, across Belgium, into Germany, all the way to the Elba River. He was 21 years old. When he returned home to Michigan, he rarely spoke of it. In 2000, my father invited his older brother to visit Normandy with him to see those beaches once again. My Uncle Jerry declined. He had no desire to travel through the landscape of those memories. In the end, I made the trip with my father. I accompanied him grudgingly. I believed Normandy had nothing to do with me. The idea of war tourism aggravated me. Why should I care? Then I stood at Omaha Beach and looked at the land undulating toward the churning waters of the British Channel. I tried to imagine the carnage that 56 years had erased. I climbed in and out of the grassy bowls of old bombing scars, what more than half a century could not erase. Two generations after the bombs fell, the earth still tells the story of the war. The ground on which I grew up doesn't bear these sorts of scars. Our war wounds mar specific tracts of land, heavy the hearts of certain individuals. The rest of us hardly notice. Our lands the landscapes of our homes and our lives remain unscathed. My closest connection to an Iraq War veteran is my Uncle Jerry's grandson-in-law, a young man I have never met. Part 4. On the 1,800th and 26th day of the Iraq War, George Bush Jr. marked the fifth anniversary by calling the war noble, necessary, and just. Which of those words describes the deaths of something close to one million Iraqi civilians 
or the deaths of 4,000 U.S. soldiers? Which of those words describes my own life lived in tandem with this war? On June 19, 2008, the fifth anniversary of the Iraq War, I did not march. Few did. I thought about the war, as I do every day. I went to work and I sat down to dinner, as I do every day. Dozens, if not hundreds, of Iraqi civilians died, as they do every day. We spent $720 million on the war, as we do every day. The New York Times published a timeline called Iraq Five Years In, an overview of major events in the conflict. It did not mention February 15, 2003. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Jack Straw Productions as part of the Jack Straw Writers Program. The 2008 curator of this program is Judith Roche. Music performed by Joel Salzman and recorded through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. Producer is Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are Mo Preventure and Tom Stiles. Narrator is Amy Broomhall, and executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, Poncho, the Mayor's Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>